Welcome back to Rowdy Southern Saturday. We have a great episode in store for you today. As always, this time of year, we've got some college football coaching carousel discussion. Obviously, one of the biggest announcements this offseason has been Nick Saban's retirement. But don't worry, Alabama fans, we've got you covered with a very special guest. Former Alabama national champion Terrence Cody will be joining us for an interview this episode. Many fans know him as Mount Cody due to his sheer size and presence on the field. Terrence Cody has won a junior college championship with Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, a BCS national championship with the Alabama Crimson Tide, and not to mention a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. No big deal. Terrence talks to us about his time with Nick Saban, his most memorable experiences throughout his career, and of course, the famous Rocky Block. Hope you enjoy the show. football's over and i'm sad yeah i think i'm more sad about the fact that i no longer get to watch the goat roam the sidelines what are you talking about the goats in athens dude the goat that was five that was one and five against uh nick saban goes in athens dude come on what are you talking about new dynasties nick saban's old news it's coming it's come coming on. boys nick saban's gone forever my nightmare has news. finally ended and uh hopefully the the good dreams will begin and uh, we'll see what happens we got a 12-team playoff coming up, so Lord knows what's Talk about, about to happen. That. that ruins all my dreams. I mean, everything's... Uh, college football, as we know, it's dead. It's um, over. It's dead and gone. It's depressing. It's going to be weird that we have college football without Nick Saban. And Jim Harbaugh now. And now Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Kirby Smart to the Falcons. So that's going to be... <laughs> we're going to will, we're gonna will keep, that into existence. Keep, so keep dreaming, boys. Keep dreaming. That's going to be keep really dreaming. sad. Just stop. We're not talking about the Falcons. Like on point, I really want to know. Like, what are Matt? Like Matt, what are your honest thoughts about Kalen DeBoer as a replacement? Because I think it's a good hire. Yeah, but I have my reservations, of course, and not about his football acumen. But it's like you and I have and Wit have talked about outside of the podcast. Well, he ain't from around here. He's from South Dakota. He don't know the landscape. That's what worries me. It actually really does. Yeah, look, here's here's my honest take on Kalen DeBoer. I think Kalen DeBoer was the guy that Greg Byrne wanted to, had identified as wanting to hire immediately. Um, I also think that Nick Saban threw the alley-oop that way. Uh, there was a lot of smoke about Dan Lanning. Um, I personally have never covered a college football coaching hire from a beat writer standpoint. Um, but... I know that whenever that happens, and this is the first time it's happened in Tuscaloosa in 17 years, so it's been a long time since a lot of those beat writers have had to dust off the the, the laptop and the cell phone and stay up all hours of the night. There was reports that Lanning was in Tuscaloosa like that night that Nick Saban had retired. Uh, that None of that was true. Um, I think it was all planted stuff. And there was actually a guy who is a sports information guy who was like, yeah, we were, I was told uh, to go with the landing siding thing. One of the beat writers talked to him and he was like, yeah, I off 
on the record, I, I called him. He said, yeah, Lanning's here. We picked him up from the airport. Um, just to get the beat writers to move with that story, Lanning was in Oregon eating popcorn and watching a movie with this kid. Um, he was not there. It was planted information. Just to keep everybody from being on the Kalen DeBoer thing. Now, look, dissecting it from a fan perspective. Number one, uh, I think Greg Byrne deserves all the respect in the world for how fast and quickly he moved and made the hire. He went with his gut instinct, said, this is what I want to do. Um, I think that Nick Saban probably put some input in who he would have wanted to hire. And Greg Byrne went and got a guy who was playing in a national championship five days prior. So from the standpoint of like just looking at football and everybody that's trying to dis- discredit uh, his record in NAIA, I mean, you, it doesn't matter what level of football winners win. Um, and, and he's been a winner at every level. He did something that Chris Peterson didn't do when he was at Washington, and that was take Washington to, to the national championship. He went a step further than just won his playoff game. He won a playoff game against a team that he a was a good an, Texas a, team, a, a good Texas team. He was an underdog in that game. Um, he had Washington as a legit team. I mean, Washington was in that national championship game until the fourth quarter. Like the final score is not indicative of how close that game was for a majority of the game. Uh, there was a couple of busted runs early on. Um, but I think Kalen DeBoer is a very good coach. There are a lot of people who are Alabama folks who are worried that yes, he's not he ain't from around here, and that is a that is a legit, you know, concern of theirs. But he just got a re recruitment and recommitment from Ryan Williams a five-star running back, or wide receiver, excuse me. Um, Justice Haynes is staying. Jam Miller's staying. So you've got two really highly recruited running backs in the backfield. He's bringing over uh, Jeremy Muhammad, Jeremy uh, Bernard, Jeremy Bernard, Jabbar Muhammad potentially coming over as a a corner. Um, Jeremy Jeremy Bernard was the kick-returning specialist for Washington this past year. Uh, had some good plays, didn't play a lot at receiver, but, I mean, you had Roma, Dunze, uh, Polk, and, I mean, they were loaded at receiver. The offense is going to be legit under Kalen DeBoer. I, I truly believe Ryan Grubb's going to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, the biggest loss in all of this was Traveris Robinson not being the D.C. in, in Tuscaloosa. I, well, I was going to say this, but what a freaking hire. Well, what a hire. I mean, and, and, and people... People are discounting, and I've seen, and and of course, I think some, it's a lot of people that are trolling on Twitter that are like, "Oh man, we're supposed to be scared of the head coach from South Alabama." And it's like, Kane Womack is a guy who has ties to the state of Alabama. His dad was a defensive coordinator. Familiarity from he, Indiana together, and he was the defensive coordinator at Indiana whenever Kalen DeBoer was the offensive coordinator at Indiana when Indiana looked like they had a pulse for a year and and went to a <clears throat> not a, a, a access bowl or a new year six bowl but the outback bowl is a bigger bowl game than indiana typically plays in uh Kalen DeBoer recruited michael Penix to indiana then recruited michael Penix from indiana to washington he's a good recruiter um austin mack is going to be coming over obviously julian saying transferred to ohio state uh, in the transfer portal out of Alabama. Alabama's lost some guys. Caleb Downs going to Ohio State. Um, those are big losses. However, 
what Kalen DeBoer has done and the time that he's taken over and what he said in his press conference, he's winning over the fan base. My one plea to Alabama fans is give him time and understand he's not the GOAT. Like, the hardest job in the world is replacing Nick Saban. I mean, look, the, the same thing happened when, when Greg Perkins re- replaced Bear Bryant. He was good. And, and if you look at Alabama at the end of Bear Bryant's run, Bear Bryant's last game wasn't the Rose Bowl. It was the Liberty Bowl. Like, Sponsored by AutoZone. <laughs> not, not at that time. Not at that time. Uh, but so my point being, Bear Bryant's team had fallen. His program had fallen to where the Liberty Bowl and eight and five was a, was like, all right, yeah, the Bear won his last game. Nick Saban lost in overtime to the national championship to the national champions, and like that's what I mean. Like he's in the playoff in the Rose Bowl and an overtime loss to the national champions. That was the national championship game. It it, it turned out, you know. Um, so. Alan DeBoer is taking over. He's been given the keys to a Ferrari. But luckily, the uh, driver of that Ferrari is still going to be around to give some tips. Uh, I think it's a great hire through and through. Uh, sorry to give a five-minute answer, but we haven't been on here. You asked my opinion, and I'm making sure that I cover all my bases. I think every hire he's made is great. I'm excited to see the direction of Coach uh, DeBoer. Well, what's funny is if it, he wasn't coming in after Nick Saban, this would be like a like blockbuster hire for Alabama. Like if this was if this oh, yeah. was Don Shula back in the day or someone like that, you'd be like, "Oh my god, this is incredible. This guy just took Washington to a national championship with the second best roster on the field for most of the games they played in this year. And now he's coming to Alabama, and he's going to get Alabama's roster every year, which even without Nick Saban there's going to be a top 5 recruited roster every year, more than likely, cuz it's just the brand. Anybody can recruit top five at Alabama. Not that many people can have the number one class almost every single year, but being top five at Alabama is pretty easy. So he'll have the players. Super acting like, you know, he's never had like top end recruiting classes, which is true. He doesn't have the Southeast connections like like Dan Lanning would have had if they brought in Dan Lanning. Um, but like we've said, he's done it with the second best roster. Even if he has a top 10 roster at Alabama, it might not even matter. He might just be a good enough coach. Plus, it's a 12-team playoff. So even if he's not winning 11 to 12 games every single year, he's still going to be in the running every year. So Yeah. Uh, I, I, got, I, do have, I do have one thing to say, and maybe y'all will disagree with this, but I've seen a lot of people, especially on the, the letter app, saying, like, how could you – like, you, he wasn't actually your first choice. You wanted Lanning, and Lanning turned you down. And they, they, like, everyone is so certain that Dan Lanning's a better coach. Like, the coach that is 0-3 against Kalen DeBoer with a better roster is 100% the better coach. Now, granted, he did give that one away two years. Not this past year, but the year before. They gave that one away. Yeah, but... But, but yeah, yeah, he's still 0-3. The point still stands. You're 0-3. He's 0-3 against this guy, but you're certain that he's better than him? I'm not... I'm not... I'm not sold on the fact of saying that Washington has a worse roster than Oregon, at least the last two years. I'd say Oregon probably has more talent, like from recruited high school talent. Oregon's younger. Oregon yeah. has a younger roster. Washington had a veteran laden roster, a lot like Michigan's. But that's Oregon why that's why I thought a lot of that's why I thought Dan Lanning would have been a better hire for Alabama is because Dan Lanning is more of a recruiter. That's really the biggest difference. 
in terms of coaching for me. I mean, Dan Lanning came into Oregon, oh. immediately had success. I mean, what they what they do last year? Nine and three, ten and two, and then this year they 10 were and ten and two. They were eleven ten and, and three two. and twelve and they were three and twelve yeah, and, two. and twelve and two this year. So he's back to back ten win seasons for two years at Oregon. Kalen DeBoer was the same way though. Last two years at Washington, he was he there for two or three years. I can't remember. I think it was two. two. He was there for two years. Yeah. He was at Fresno State before that. Yeah, he and he was great at Fresno State too. And, and he had Fresno State in, in a game against Alabama, like moderately competitive. Yeah, for a minute. So here, here, here's my one thing that I think I'll say, and you know, I do, I do have caught. I have no issues at all with him as an X's and O's football guy. I absolutely agree. The man's had success everywhere he's been. His worst year as a college football coach was three and three, and that was in 2020. So take that with how you will. I mean, three and three in 2020, his first year as the head coach at Fresno State. I don't really know if that even should belong on on DeBoer's resume as a whole. And that's the worst year he's ever had as a head coach. So, but I do, I do have concern, just because I know how it works down here. Look, we were all born and raised in the South. Like we understand how this conference works. We all understand how this football craziness works down here below the Mason Dixon line. And it is about the Jimmies and Joes sometimes. It very much is about the Jimmies and Joes and not so much about the X's and O's. Because the X's and O's Kalen DeBoer absolutely has a part of. But again, as long but if he makes if he makes good hires that fabricate good connections. He will do very well at Alabama. But again, but, it does give me caution that he has never been further than the state of Illinois until now. But prior to prior to LSU, what what experience in the SEC did Nick Saban have? I mean, true. And same prior, thing could be said with Urban Meyer. Prior to same with Urban Meyer. What about Brian Kelly? Who won the SEC yeah, oh, West. Absolutely. He won the SEC West his first year at LSU. Absolutely. Hey, um, he's Southern. <laughs> me and my family. <laughs> family. And now, but I say all that to say that, to me, the biggest impact on it, it's not it doesn't matter. I, I don't I don't think geographic location matters anymore. I think it used to a little bit. No, well, it's completely I think, been ridden up. I, I I think well, but it doesn't matter anymore because nil exists. So nil doesn't like kids don't care so much about like they're the the thing that kids are going to care about. Like Georgia is going to be able to keep kids a little bit out of the NIL discussion in the same way that Alabama has in the past few in the past couple years where it's like all right yeah I mean we'd love to have you however we imagine that we're like which the Caleb Downs situation Caleb Downs they were offering him $500,000 it was all alleged $500,000 from Georgia Ohio State came in at one point three million, and he said, "I want to go to Georgia." But I, I, I see. I, I heard, I heard we were at one point three, and Ohio State was at like, like three point six. No, 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 no. That's yeah, that's inflated. Matt's more accurate. I heard, that, I heard we so, were over a million, and they doubled us. No, I, 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 I firmly believe five hundred thousand. The, 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 the Georgia right. message boards are never wrong. I, I know what yeah, I'm talking I, about. <laughs> I, I big dog two seven three Athens. The reason been. the reason that I don't believe one point three is I don't see like and then him getting three point six. There's not a safety in the country that's worth that much money. There's just not. I think uh, uh, now Kirby says 
we'll give you 500,000. You'll make your money even more so on the back end, but you're going to have to buy into the culture. And Ohio State says 1.3. They give him 1.3. It's hard to turn down that money. It is what it is. But I, I say, I use Caleb Downs as an example that Georgia is not going to stoop to the level of arrogance in the NIL realm because Kirby Smart has enough guys that are in that locker room that are bought in to what Georgia is, and it's a developmental program in the sense of we get you in here when you're – you come in here as a freshman, you compete your ass off, we develop you to be an NFL player. And that's what Alabama was for for the entire time that Nick Saban was there, and Kirby got that from Nick Saban. So what I what I truly and firmly believe is that schools like Georgia can get away with that. Alabama can't get away with that anymore. They're going to have to buy into the NIL game, and you're going to have to buy your roster. It is what it is. That's the world that we live in now. So Kalen DeBoer, his success in recruiting is going to be based off of how much the fan base is willing to, be, to give. And at what point are fan bases going to be turned off and say, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. Um, and I think that that personally, like leaning, leaning to Florida, I think that that's where Billy Napier is going to have the most struggles in this upcoming season is not so much of can, can he win. Billy Napier has been a phenomenal football coach everywhere he's gone. He's won everywhere he's gone. He didn't forget how to coach football at Florida. But with the way that NIL works, fan support's got to be there. And if they're not willing to pay the Pied Piper, well, then so be it. Florida's going to be in a situation like that. Like you're, 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 if you're getting into pissing match for money, Florida's not going to win those right now with their NIL situation. They're just not. I don't want to talk about Florida. Talk about something else. I, I'm, I was just, I'm just, you know, it's all, it's all relative. Kalen DeBoer, in, in, in conclusion, Kalen DeBoer's success will be if the fan base backs him, they pay the NIL money, he's able to collect a roster of talent that's going to be good. He will have the Jimmies and the Joes simply because he's able to buy players. Agreed. Agreed. And I will say this just real quick, kind of wrapping up because we haven't been on since we previewed for the national championship. I know that we're strictly a, we try to keep it as Southern based as possible, but I will say one thing. I like Kalen DeBoer's replacement quite a bit. Jed Fish, I think just kind of looking at the overall carousel, um, Jed Fish to Washington. Yeah, I think that's idea. a good, good hire. Um, now his replacement at Arizona, I think that kind of stings a little bit getting Brent Brennan from San Jose state. I mean, I don't, I think they'll drop back to seven and five, eight and four, maybe six and six reality land, even in the big 12, um, more moves around the country, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh leaves today as of like what an hour ago, but we all knew it was coming anyway. Right before we got on the show. Yeah. I mean like maybe 20, 30 minutes before we got on the show, like it hadn't been long. Um, is it really Sharon Moore's job? We'll see. I I really think it would be a big move if they go get Brian Kelly. I, I don't think that giving Sharon Moore the job and seeing how it pans out really works. We, we were talking about it pre, pre-show. pre You know, you saw how Zach, or was it you, who said you saw how Zach Arnett worked out and yeah. you tried to do a comparison. Well... But here's here's my I don't think it's I don't think it I don't think it's comparable. Here's my argument too with Sharon Moore. I mean, you also gotta look at this season from this past season. Sharon Moore coached more games than Jim Harbaugh did this year. Because Harbaugh was out for half the season. He only coached three. Sharon Moore? 
Yeah, remember they rotated the first. Oh, uh, I forgot about and that. Then he got. That's a good point. But he was the head coach. The, the other guy doesn't he count. Coached the, uh, yeah, he coached four. He coached four. It was him and Jesse Minter, right? Was that the DC? Was it Jesse Minter? I don't yeah, remember. Jesse, Jesse AJ Minter is his name. Yeah, AJ Minter. Sure. Connor Connor Stallions. Lefty lefty closer for the Braves. Um, Connor Stallions is a big part of that. But to me, it's 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 similar to the situation um, in Mississippi State. More, it's a little bit different, but. At Mississippi State, when everything happened with Leach, obviously it was more respectable to do what they did. Um, more so, like with Arnett. Obviously, you know, Mike Leach died. Rest in peace, the pirate. But it was also a, you know, our program's in a good place. We got a guy who understands the system we've been trying to run, the culture we've been trying to instill. So let's just let's just promote him. And honestly, it probably would have worked out if he didn't change the entire offense with a with a. Uh, air raid recruited offense so or air raid recruited roster but then you got Sharon Moore he coached three games this year he went three and oh they didn't lose a single game this year he's been with Harbaugh for the past couple years he's a great play caller he did a good job as head coach when he was there obviously Harbaugh had a big part in it but for them you're coming off a national championship to me if I was an AD it would be hard for me to say instead of promoting the guy within that's been here through everything let's get rid of him and start fresh from the beginning. Brian Kelly come on in here we know you're a better coach we might we're going to suck for the next year or two but then Brian Kelly's going to come in here and we might be better off for it. Same deal with Lance Leipold, same deal with Matt Campbell, whoever they hire. It's like why not just promote Sharon more? Let him go through a year. If he sucks, you just fire him in the next year and then you have a full on coaching search. And you can actually look for somebody. Right now, all the best coaches are taken that, that are actually going to leave. Is Leifold going to leave for Michigan? I don't know. Is Campbell going to leave for Michigan? I don't know. They might both stay. Is Brian Kelly going to leave for Michigan? Lord, who knows? They might would do it, but you might as well just promote Sharon more. If Brian Kelly doesn't leave for LSU this from LSU this year, he would probably leave next year. So just hang on to it. If you suck next year, you show the fans it wasn't the right move. The team wasn't where it needed to be. Uh, you got a better chance of actually keeping some of your best players if you keep Sharon Moore. But we'll see what happens. I mean, Brian Kelly, if they end up Brian Kelly, they end up with Lance Leipold. At the end of the day, they might be better than they were with Jim Harbaugh. So. See, I, I disagree. I think you got to go find somebody. I disagree as well. But, but and, and it's not because it's not because I don't like, like Michigan is a kind of a weird place. But I, I mean, I. The Mississippi State thing was weird all the way around because there were different circumstances. I've never seen anything like that and, before. But but also, if you you take the emotion out of it, take the sadness out of it, take the circumstances out of it. Before the Egg Bowl was played, there was a very very large rumor that if they lost that game, that Zach Arnett was going to be the head coach the following season. There were boosters in Starkville that had been funding and listening to Zach Arnett talk about how he was kind of going behind Leach's back, being like, we're never going to be bigger than 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four with the air raid system. We need to run a different offense. I'll run the defense the same way, and we'll win more games. We can only, we can only hold teams to, to 17 points so many times and lose games, yada, yada, yada. How'd that work out? And 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 it didn't. It didn't work out. But, but what I'm saying is, is that... It, the the Zach Arnett thing, we can all say they did it because it was the right thing to do. No, they there was kind of a, a faction already of, of support already there for Zach Arnett regardless, and the same way that there is right now for Sheryl Moore. And 
the the my, my thing is is the whole notion of well if Sharon Moore doesn't work out, then you know so be it. I point to one game and one game only, and that's the Maryland game. Sharon Moore got out coached in circles by Mike Loxley in the Maryland game. That game was entirely way 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 closer than it ever should have been, and. Sharon Moore looked lost, and there was no adjustments to be made. He looked clueless on the sideline in that one game. Now, the following week against Ohio State, they wind up winning. But mind you, Jim Harbaugh was allowed to coach during the week. He just wasn't allowed to coach on the sidelines on Saturday. That game plan that they came up with the week of the Ohio State game worked. Saying that you take a chance on a year, and if... For whatever reason, they suck next year. It's not that big of a deal. You fire Sheryl Moore, and then you go through another an overhaul. The damage might be done at that point. You do it now. You see if you can get Brian Kelly, because guys are still willing to move. If you can get Brian Kelly, if you can get Lance Leipold, if you can get a guy in there that is Matt Campbell, any of these guys who can come in, I also think you're going to lessen your chances of NCAA infractions if you clean house. If you promote from within, you're still going to get hammered because there's still going to be coaches on that staff that didn't know what was going on. Like, yeah, you did. But you're you're giving the NCAA more bait if you continue to promote from within. You got to start fresh. You got to let a new guy come in. You got to try and distance yourself from all the cheating scandal allegations and you got to be you got to be let him have a program that is his. Sharon Moore will always live in Jim Harbaugh's national championship final season shadow. No matter and and if if he goes 7 and 5 or 8 and 4 next year, he's done. And that's and then another thing about that is you talk about living in the shadow. If you do give Sharon Moore more than one year and it doesn't pan out, which and you could say that about anybody. So here come the sanctions. Here comes whatever happens with what's left of that Michigan staff. Everybody left over, including Sharon Moore. So here's my question. Harbaugh's out at Michigan. Obviously, Kalen DeBoer's out at Washington. Is this the first time ever we've had both national championship teams go into the next season without the head coach they had in the national championship game? I can't think of a single team that won or lost a national championship game that went into the next year without their head coach, let alone two at the same year. It may have. I feel like it's happened before, where there's been a guy who's gone out riding high, won a national championship, and and gone to the NFL or retired or something. I can't think of any like off the top of my head, but I mean, for both, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't think of another time, unless back in like the 1920s, the Harvard and Yale coaches went to USC and Michigan State. I've never seen anything like that that I can recall of. I'm sure there's somebody who's been out at one point um, that's kind of rode out high, and I mean, even. Like Matt referenced you earlier, like Nick Saban, he rode out kind of high. Yeah, he rode out on a loss, but there never was that big drop off or that big slip where you ever felt like Alabama wasn't a national threat, that Alabama wasn't a national contender. Um, so overall, man, like, I guess I'll say this, and it's not even really an answer to your question, but, you know, uh, we just got to watch the greatest of all time. That's one thing I think that should not be left out of this conversation that we've had tonight albeit very brief is that we will never see another like that Nick Saban was one of one and whatever Kirby Smart does or whatever Dabo Sweeney does and Marcus Freeman or Ryan Day or Steve Sarkeesian whoever you want to talk about for the future of their careers no one will ever be him he was one of one 
He won six national championships at Alabama. And that's not even including the two national championship games he lost or including the fact that he lost twice in the playoff anyway. So, no, he lost three national championships. Three national championships and two other appearances in the playoff where he didn't make it out of the semifinals. So, you're talking about 11 out of those 16 years of being in the national championship conversation. And even in the years like two years ago and the year before last where they had two losses during the regular season, they were still an 11-win team. They were still dominant. You saw in the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State uh, the year before this past where they just dominated a really good Kansas State team. And they had the continuity to be able to finish off an 11-2 and year and still get the guys to play. Bryce Young played. Will Anderson played. Those guys played, and there's something to be said about that. Nick Saban is the greatest of all time. It's a privilege. It was a privilege to watch him do what he was able to do. And I have quite a few questions that I would like to ask a certain someone. We're bringing on Mr. Terrence Cody for an interview. So hang on for that. We're going to really dive in deep to talk about Nick Saban, but greatest of all time. Privilege to watch him. Honestly, made me feel sad when I found out the news. Um, just because it's, it's a, you get so enveloped in the fandom, it becomes part of your life. And Nick Saban was part of our lives for 16 years. And regardless of whether you're a George fan or an Auburn fan and you hated him, or whether you're a Florida fan like me and who was just respected him, or you were just some guy who lives out in Oregon and you're an Oregon State fan. You had an opinion on Nick Saban, but you got to watch the greatest of all time go to work. And that will never be replicated. Yeah, as a Georgia fan, I am as excited as can be because he has absolutely terrorized Kirby Smart in his tenure. Nick Saban, and I, I know we've talked about this stat, Nick Saban is the only coach to beat Kirby Smart since 2018, which is incredible. The only active coach, I'm sorry, as Dan Mullen did beat Kirby Smart in 2020. And Will Muschamp beat Kirby Smart in 2019. Even still, it's incredible what he did. Obviously, we talk about it all the time. I post many a picture of me uh, giving Nick Saban the business, but he uh, and his statue at Tuscaloosa, Alabama when I go to games. But obviously, he's the GOAT. No one will ever do what Nick Saban did, as much as I would love to see Kirby Smart beat Nick Saban's record. I think seven national championships is going to stand still for a very long time, especially now with the 12-team playoff. So, Nick Saban... Appreciate you. You changed college football for the better. And honestly, I think he's going to keep doing it. So it's hard to hate the guy for sure. He, he, he haunts my nightmares, but I definitely don't hate him. And now, Terrence Cody. Rally Southern Saturday. Yeah. Uh, what's up, Terrence? How's it going, man? How are you? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. I appreciate you hopping on with us today. Oh, no problem at all, man. No problem. Terrence, you're down in uh, Florida now? Or Alabama? No, I'm up in Alabama. Nice, man. What part? Um, I'm like 30-something minutes outside of schools. So you're living the this dream. Is <laughs> somewhat. Living in the country. Yeah. Got 50 acres up here, so yeah, I'm just chilling. Oh, no, that's oh, that's nice. the life right there, man. I hear you. So I'm trying to get like one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, very special guest here on the Rowdy Southern Saturdays podcast today. Uh, we've got Terrence Cody, 
who in rarefied air, he won a national championship in JUCO at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, a national championship at the University of Alabama in 2009, and then won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Uh, everybody, welcome Terrence Cody. How y'all doing? Glad you're able to join us today. This is really cool for me. Uh, I grew up lifelong Alabama fan, so getting to talk to you today is really cool. You know, I want to start this interview off by personally thanking you for the Rocky <laughs> block in 2009. That was one of the coolest plays of my life. I know you probably get sick of talking about it. It's something that gets brought up to you all the time by Bama fans. Uh, but in that moment, Tennessee had a, it was kind of a crazy sequence there. Tell us what's going through your mind. They had just scored a touchdown, got an onside kick, get in field goal range. What are you thinking in that moment? Shoot, I really thought we was going to lose because I didn't think they were going to score a touchdown that quick. But when we called Max Block, it was having success the whole day against him. I got one earlier. But we went to line up, and I was just like, somebody got to do something. We got to do something. Try to keep this unbeaten streak going on. And, you know, we called a timeout to uh, try to ice the kicker. Then we lined up again, and, you know, me and Marcel, we looked at each other, and, you know, we both were like, man, we got to get better. And ball snapped, and we just, you know, unloaded on the guy in front of us, and I happened to just stick my arm up, and I blocked it. Man, that was it was really cool. I was watching it in my bedroom. <laughs> I was I was 16, it just turned 16, and I'm like, I'm sitting there and I was like, man, we're really about to lose to Lane Kiffin. Like this is this, this sucks. And 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 the defense was so dominant that year. I mean, that it, it was crazy that they were about to kick a field goal and score 13 points, and they were gonna win a game with 13 points. The defense was incredible. You and Marcel in the middle, like there there weren't teams that were running the ball. One of the things that I feel like was crazy about that play, and I don't know if you you probably didn't notice it at the time. But I feel like Julio Jones was like eight feet in the air with oh, his yeah. hands up. So it almost looks like if you wouldn't have touched it, he he might have like caught it midair. <laughs> That's probably the highest I've ever seen somebody jump in person. Looked at the pitcher from the side view, from like from the sideline, and he literally almost jumped like probably almost six feet in the air. It was crazy. Yeah, I've got the uh, the Daniel Moore painting is going to be hanging in my in my office whenever we finish getting this thing put up because that's it's one of the top moments and uh, I just had to bring that up. I know that's probably the first question you get a lot on these things, but had to bring that up. And then uh, before I let one of these guys go, um, obviously Coach Saban retiring, that's got to be crazy. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with him and and what that was like being on that first the building blocks of the dynasty i mean you were you came in in that class that that really set the tone and the standard that made alabama alabama what was your relationship like with nick saban and tell us a little bit about being on that first group of guys that came in and built alabama me and coach saban had a real tight relationship it was rocky at first but once i understood what he was trying to do then you know everything was just played out itself because, um, you, you know, when I first got there, I was a little heavy. And <laughs> so he, you know, we'll, he would get on me like almost every other day and stuff about the weight. And once I got it under control and things started to, you know, improve on my side. And then, you know, we ended up really good relationship because he would always tell me, he would always try to uh, encourage me on doing the right thing. And I sat next to Coach Saban every bus ride from the airport all the way to the hotel, from the hotel to the movie theaters, from the back to the hotel, and then from the hotel to the stadium. Like, I sat next to him every bus ride. 
and it became like a like an all the time thing. So one time I tried to sit in the back, and once he realized, I walked past him, and he turned around and looked back at me. I was in the back with the other guys, and he looked up. He's like, "You don't want to sit next to me?" And I was just like, "Oh no, coach, hold your own space." And so, but uh, our relationship ended up being really, really cool. It was it was a different relationship. Um, we used to race in between um, in between drills and practice, and stuff. He used to try to trick me and all that. And we a couple times he was like trying to trick me. He was like, "Yeah, I, I dusted your ass six Sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and him will go back and forth. We'll talk crap to each other on on you know, out there on the field, and he'll give me one of these. I'm like, hey, sixty two, hold these, and he'll like grab his nuts. And <laughs> I was gonna ask if he ever hit you with the D's nuts jokes because uh, I, I heard Marlon yeah. Humphrey Marlon Humphrey said one time that he's a big D's nuts joke guy. He, oh man, he he really is. He really is. <laughs> That's awesome. Keeping up with the talk about uh, Coach Saban. Obviously, he just retired, and I'll just come out and say it. I'm not even a Bama fan. I'm a Florida fan, and you and him, obviously, and the rest of that team helped dethrone the run that Urban Meyer and. My guy, Tim Tebow, had us going on there for a while. But what kind of guy was Coach Saban like outside of football? Like when you're just at his lake house or, you know, if he's just outside of the football facility, like is he a good a good Catholic man who goes to mass? Like just what kind of guy is he really? Because I feel like a lot of times we get lost in the fact that like he's this iconic figure. But like who is the actual like the man, Nick Saban? Who's the... Who's that guy who was raised in West Virginia that ended up being Alabama's head football coach? Outside of football, he's, he's not as bad as he is a coach. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. He tried to get the best out of you, and sometimes you you take it the wrong way, you take it the wrong way. But I like that. What kept me on my toes is you know him staying on me. But um, outside of it, like whenever I would go to his house for Thanksgiving. Or any other holiday I had to stay in town, it it was it was like it was like chill way back, you know. He, if he ever challenged you in pool, don't do it. That's <laughs> that's all. That's that's word of advice I'm gonna tell you because I I spent like two hours trying to beat this man in pool, <laughs> and he beat my ass every time. And right after I break, he knocks the ball in. I never get a chance to hit. I close like two times, but. Off the field, he's he's like a really different person. He's really laid back, chill. He jokes around. Um, he just likes to have a good time, and he just you know he's he's a big family guy, and he's and he's always not necessarily preaching, but you know he's always trying to encourage people. He's always trying to you know give you the advice that you need and stuff to make yourself better, and not just for you know on the field, off the field as well, you know, just to be better at life. That's that's awesome. I actually do have yeah, he, he talked about he talked about going over, over there for Thanksgiving and it made me really want to ask this question. How was Miss Terry's cooking? <laughs> um it was every time I went it was here. So I think it was only only thing she did make it was a, a pie that was there and stuff and I had a piece of the pie and the pie was actually pretty damn good. That's what we love to hear, the Queen and, of Tuscaloosa. <laughs> <laughs> but also <laughs> Every time I went over there, you know, it'd be time to eat. And <laughs> I was sitting, wait for everybody to eat. And he'd look at me. He was like, 
He's like, go ahead, get you a plate, man. Get you a plate. I was like, you sure? It's still, I know y'all watch my weight and all that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get up to eat. And, and he was like, that's, he was like, you get that? What are you doing? And Miss Terry got on me about it. And man, that was the last time he said something to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's awesome, man. So, uh, like, you know, moving away from the Saban stuff and going more into into your career, um, you, you know, talk mm-hmm. about your talk about your re- recruitment. You know, uh, going to to JUCO and then going into Alabama. Like, was Alabama a school that was on your radar at all when you were in high school, or was that something that just popped up on your radar after you had gone to JUCO and and Saban had kind of established what he was doing there in Tuscaloosa? No, it actually actually was never on my radar. Alabama was never on my radar. I was actually supposed to go to, um supposed to go to Miami out of high school, but I didn't have the grades to sign. So I went to JUCO and Miami was still, you know, keeping in touch with me, making sure, you know, I was getting my grades right and all that cuz he was still going to sign me. But after after my first year, like 3 or 4 games into my second year in JUCO, that's when Alabama hopped on the radar and they immediately, you know, brought me for an unofficial visit, came to the uh, Georgia game when they played at home, they played Georgia at home. And they went into like, I think like double overtime. And I think it was like right after that game, I was like, I think I want to come here. (laughs) And I came for an official visit, walking around the campus and just doing, you know, just, you know, figuring out everything, just seeing how the layout is. Like, it was nice and chill. And just, you know, everybody in Tuscaloosa is, like, so nice and stuff. And um, I didn't really see that a lot growing up, just, you know, being around a lot of nice people. But once I got to Tuscaloosa, um, like, I walked into Walmart and just people just, you know, don't even know you, just speaking to you and, you know, just – Green you and all that stuff, and nobody, nobody even know who I was at the time. It was just, it was just a great atmosphere. That's what kind of, you know, won me over into coming there. And once, once uh, Miami found out I, that I came there for an official visit, they, they just backed off because they felt like, uh, they felt like they can compete with uh, Alabama at the time. When did you get your nickname, Mount Cody? I know that's the way a lot of Alabama fans know you around the household. Funny story that. Uh, while I was there for my uh, official visit, uh, me and one of the recruits, we walked around the outside in the hotel that they had the recruits in, and we walked past one of the dorms, and as we were walking, one of the guys that uh, he was studying outside, and he just, you know, he just tapped the screen, hey, Mount Cody, and me and the recruit, we looked around, and he's like, he's like, bro, are you Mount Cody? I'm like, no, I'm Terrence Cody. He was like, yeah, bro, that's what they're calling you on the recruiting site, they're calling you Mount Cody. I was like, uh... <laughs> Once they found out a year ago they were recruiting you, they just started calling you Mount Cody and stuff. And I guess that's how I got it from recruiting sites. That's awesome. That's also funny because, like, you know how those message boards get, man. <laughs> they're, they're all true too. Everything you read on everything, there, everything on a message, everything board on a message board is true. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you've, you've, you, you know how the message boards are. They're, they're insane. They come up with. I remember after the Ohio State loss in 2014, there was people who were like, I think Saban's lost a step. He needs to be fired. It's like, come on, guys, <laughs> come on. Um, so this is something that these guys don't really understand. But I'm gonna ask you. Um, because you were a part of both games, uh, Tennessee to me as a, as a Alabama fan is, is that rival that you just, you gotta beat them every year. 
Uh, did you ever? And then, uh, then Auburn is like the annoying little brother that you just you you got to beat to keep him quiet. Which one is? Mm-hmm. Did you did you feel like had the big or like obviously obviously Auburn had a has a massive in state rivalry game, but the, the Tennessee game did you feel like that rivalry competed any any amount with the with the Auburn rivalry? I had to miss out on the first one because uh, I had a knee injury midway in my first year at Bama, um, but. Once the second one, one played in the um, the next year, and the second one, um, that's when I realized how big of a game that is. And, and I really think the Tennessee one is the biggest to me, but the Auburn Alabama one, that's more so. It's like a bragging bowl. I was saying, I was just because whoever wins, like they get to brag the rest of the year until the next game. Tennessee game was more of a bigger rivalry. It's just a history between the two teams and I didn't really fully understand that until the week of the game knowing how big a game it was because of the rivalry and I I, I had no idea about the rivalry until uh my teammates were telling me about it from because they were you know from um Alabama as well so they wanted to explain it to me how big of a rivalry it was and how far it went back and all the guys who you know made plays in those type of games in the game what was your cigar of choice after the after the win in the locker room? That's another funny story. I still haven't gotten a cigar for that game. Oh, I wow. got I got back into the locker room. I was like, "Oh, we get cigars!" And it was like, "The he was like, yeah, go ask what you call them. They hand them out. There were no cigars left. Like there wasn't one in my locker. Everybody just nobody had an extra cigar. I guess everybody took them all." That is that's a shame. I, I, that is a. I'm gonna I'm gonna call somebody and and be like, send this man a cigar now. He, he send him a box. We got we got to hook up with R and R cigars in Tuscaloosa. We can send him some. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. I'm actually very proud that he knows the cigar place in Tuscaloosa. I've been. There's a cigar. You know, yeah, there's a place called R and R Cigars there in Tuscaloosa. I think it's got a little bar there too. It's like a cigar bar. You can hang out in there, smoke. They they are now. I, I don't know when this happened. They are now the official cigar sponsor of the third Saturday of October. What? Oh, that's pretty cool. It's, it's a genius marketing because they know at least once a year everybody's going to buy it, whether or not they get to smoke it. Now, from now on, I mean, it was <laughs> it was like a, it was like a lock for fifteen years, man. You're getting at least one cigar a year. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check them out and stuff next time I'm in Tuscaloosa. I'm gonna check them out. Tell them, tell them, tell them we sent you. They'll uh, <laughs> yeah, because they know who we are. They, they totally they they do know keys. But um, talking about Tennessee, man, and all these rivalries, you know, playing around the SEC, like you obviously play eight conference games a year. I know you said, you know, you missed halfway through your first season there, but you played in that full full season your second year at Bama before you went to the NFL. What what would you say is the hardest atmosphere to play in on the road in the SEC? And then like what would be what would be the easiest atmosphere? In the SEC, and why is it Mississippi State? <laughs> I say the toughest place that I played in away games. Uh, it's it's like a tie between Auburn and um, and LSU. The Auburn game, uh, it it caught it caught me off guard. Like the whole, it wasn't that loud building up to the game, but once the Eagle came down and hit the middle of the field, like that place got so loud, and like I thought my eardrums were about to burst. It was it was that loud, and then LSU like my first year we played them away, and you know I was hearing all the stories about them shaking the bus as you're coming in and leaving, 
and throwing beer cans and bottles at the bus and all that stuff. And once we went out for warm-ups, they put us down at the end zone and right next to the, the live tiger and stuff. And and it was it was kind of like, it was cool, but it was also kind of like, like, whoa, that's a real tiger, like, right there. And, um, but that place, once the game started, that place erupted as well. So those, I'll have to say those two are like a tie for me, like the craziest places. Well, the craziest um, away game we played, what, that I played. Uh, what was the rest of that question? What's the easiest place to play, and why is it Starkville, Mississippi? <laughs> easiest place to play. I'll probably have to say it was probably Arkansas. They were actually pretty decent. Was that the that, end? That, of, was, that was the end of the Petrino era. That was right there towards the end of the Petrino. end of the Petrino era. That's actually I'm very surprised yeah. by that. Um, but. I, Another question I wanted to ask you, you know, you obviously you want a natty in JUCO, you want a natty in FBS, and you want a Super Bowl. I know probably the natty in JUCO can't touch those two, but like that run that you guys went on at Bama and then that that run that you went on as a Baltimore Raven, which one means more to you to say that I won a national championship at the University of Alabama or I'm a Super Bowl champion because you can't take, obviously no one can take either of those away from you for the rest of your life. Um, that's a tough one, man. That is a tough one. Alabama and, and Baltimore and stuff. Like I got a bunch of great friends that I made on those teams because winning the Super Bowl was always like one of my biggest dreams and stuff growing up and, you know, being able to, to be in one and then win one was like, it was it was a dream come true, but at the same time, I, I couldn't believe it. it. It didn't even like it didn't even register until like three months later that I won a Super Bowl. But that national championship run that we had, like that, uh, you you really don't you really like the only team I know that was doing runs like that that we did. Like we went on an undefeated run the year before, but we lost in the Sugar Bowl to uh, to Utah, and then you know we went. He didn't want the whole thing the next year, but the only team that I know that that did that before was you know the the uh, Miami teams back in the days, early two thousand. So I, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to pick one, but if I if I had to pick one and just like put on the spot and had to pick one, I'd probably have to go with the uh, Alabama one because I made a bunch of friends and like I made a. I don't know. It's it like kind of where I started my legacy a little bit. Granted, it started in junior college, but it was more visible. My legacy was more visible once I got to Alabama. So, you know, it was more spotlight. But um, I probably have to say the Alabama championship run was better because, you know, we had a lot of uh, not necessarily hate, but we had a lot of revenge um, in our hearts and stuff because of the way that we lost to Florida. And we took it upon ourselves that next year to to get better as a team, get better at you know units like defense getting better and offense getting better, special teams all all around. So we put in a lot of work in that all season. Like fourth quarter, that was my first time going through fourth quarter. I was hearing all the hearing all the horror stories about it and having to go through it. Like the first week wasn't bad, but then as it went on, I was just like, yeah, now I'm starting to see why you guys get fourth quarter now. And <laughs> all that time we put in, it just kind of it, it, it felt it felt more special. 
and stuff. Not saying that the Super Bowl wasn't special. That was really special. That's on like a different level, but the winning that national at Alabama kind of, you know, meant more to me. That's awesome. That's what we love to hear. We're yeah. we're we're always we love the NFL, but we're we're college football first. Always. It's just <laughs> it's not the same. So I, I just got a couple more questions uh, before before we let you go, man. Uh, so first, I, I we I, I can't believe we didn't even bring this up. You know, you you got to play on the defense that was run by Kirby Smart, uh, who now has gone on this incredible run that he's had at at, at Georgia. Um, talk a little bit about what what Kirby was like running the defense, and was was he like an, having another Nick Saban on that sidelines? Uh, when with the way that he managed the defense and operated in his day to day, like on the football side. Yes, he. I would say he's he's like a he's he's like Coach Saban, but more under control because Coach Saban he'll he'll flip the hell out and stuff, but like Kirby he'll get. <laughs> control getting on you like he he'll he'll say some things but it won't be the same it won't be the type of things that coach Saban would say and so, but he would loud and yell and all that stuff but coach um man I love coach smart coach smart you know um when he when he became the defensive coordinator that that year after coach still left you know you could tell like he immediately got everybody's attention on defense and he got everybody's attention to want to be better and to want to, you know, just beat the crap out of everybody every, every, every Saturday on defense and stuff. And, um, you know, Coach Saban used to, used to say, you know, the only fun thing is, is, you know, beating the crap out of somebody and Coach Smart, you know, he kind of, he kind of imprinted that on us. And that's why, you know, we went out every Saturday and just beat the crap out of people. You know, we had games where we would we had games where we wasn't fully awake and so kind of lack of days. I'm gonna say the same thing as uh Zach on Wood. It's a tough word. <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, we had the games where we were sluggish in the first half and getting in the second half, like he'll be He'll be loud, but it's like an under control and stuff. He's just like, hey guys, like I know we such and such, such and such, such, such and stuff. He'll just be under control, but he can get to us, and he was able to uh, wake us up and let us know, you know, that you know we gotta get us together, gotta go out there and you know play how we've been playing and stuff. But uh, Coach Mark was a, he's a really good coach, and I'm I'm happy he's having all success at Georgia. I mean. That's what it's for, and you know, guys to guys to move on and start building their own legacy. You know, you talked about talked about Coach Smart. You talked about Coach Saban. Um, I just want to know from like your perspective and your time, and could have been in Alabama, could have been with the Ravens. Um, who was like your favorite teammate that you ever played with? Um, whether it be at Alabama, whether it be in the NFL, you know, Flacco, McElroy, anybody, just anybody down the list of who you play with, who was like, who was the guy to go to, to like get a good laugh? Like who was your favorite guy? Um, I got two of them. When I was at Alabama, um, Josh Chapman and Roy Upchurch were the guys and stuff. And uh, Josh, you know, call him Chap. He was the one, he, he kind of, um, he was the one who kept me humble whenever, you know, I would get a little ahead of myself and, um, and, you know, just to, you know, keep me grounded 
And Roy Upchurch, he was like, you know, that's like my brother, right? Well, both of those are like my brother. Both of them like my brothers and stuff. Um, Roy, he was the one who just kept me focused and to make sure, you know, I always did what I had to do. And, and whenever I had those days where I was just like, you know, that's all this, I don't want to do nothing today and stuff. And he was the one that would come get me. Either he would come get me or Dapper would come get me. But, you know, Roy would come get me and we'll have like a long talk and stuff. And then I'll be right back to myself and back to doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then once I got to the Ravens, um, we actually got drafted in the same year together. Um, Arthur Jones, he was my guy. That was that was like my that was my right hand man. And then the next year came in my other my other buddy, um, Brian Hall. And those were the two guys that you know kept me focused, kept me doing what I was supposed to do. Crust, you know, we were young in those days. When we were young. We you know we had our fun. We did you know did what normal 22 23 year olds would do and stuff and uh and me, me like our rookie year me and art we got we got in trouble together like almost the other <laughs> <laughs> we had some fun times man we had some fun times and you know even off the field we hung out off the field um i would go to his house or he'll bring his family over to my house and you know, we had, we had great times, and CeeLo as well, he would come over to my house, or he'll go over to Art's house, and, you know, we just all had a great relationship, and those are the four guys that, that you know, I, I owe quite a, you know, quite a bit of my success to and stuff, because, you know, uh, I didn't just being far away from home and stuff, and, you know, you got I, you know, I got friends back at home, but just having friends on the team that you can that you can go to and talk to, or ones that can see that you're not doing what you're normally normally doing, and that can actually you know get you back on track. You know, that was a great thing for me to have. So, those are some of your favorite players that you played with. Who are your favorite players growing up? Who are some of your favorite role models? Some people that you wanted to be like. Well, one of my favorites, Warren Sapp. Um, and Barry Sanders, but my all-time favorite, I'm still a really, really, really big Sean Taylor fan. Like, oh, yeah. Sean oh, Taylor, yeah. is, ever since, like, I've watched, I watched all his games in Miami, even in the NFL, I watched all his games. I wanted to be like Sean Taylor, but, you know, I was bigger than Sean Taylor, so I couldn't be like Sean Taylor. <laughs> but Sean Taylor was, like, number one favorite player growing up. And football, and uh, is, and then like a lot of people don't notice. At one point, you know, when he died, it it hit me different. I felt like I knew him because I watched him. You know, my whole my whole um life growing up, you know, from high school going into college. And I think it was like my second year in college when he passed, and big inspiration on me. One of my favorite players still today. Got jerseys of them. Got a signed jersey of them. I got also got a couple pictures somewhere around here. Last question. Uh, I I I gotta get your I gotta get your opinion on this because uh, we are not only a college football podcast, 
but we are a a college town food podcast. Give me your top three restaurants that are must eats in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, but I'll, I'm, I also kind of want to get your input on Baltimore and down in Miami. Like if we're ever in those spots, where do we got to eat? We love the uh, the the scenes in all these places. We're all fat. <laughs> my all time favorite, Jimmy John's. That's my time favorite. Oh yeah, um, I love Jimmy John. I love Jimmy John. <laughs> um, restaurant wise, I'm a real big, I'm a real big Hikados fan. Like, I love Hikados, and Hikados, and so those are like the two main spots that I go to whenever I'm in there. And uh, I forget that I forget that one restaurant. They sell this the sushi um the sushi plate called the Screaming Orgasm. <laughs> I that place. That dish right there, the screen orga is probably like the best sushi dish I ever had. And Baltimore is this place called Sullivan's. It's this um uh it's a place called the Green Turtle. They got like multiple spots of them. It's called um I think it's called Fogo de Chow, something like that. Fogo de Chow, yeah. Oh yeah, the best steakhouse. Went there one time for an anniversary dinner and it was great. it was really great. It was better than what I expected. And then in Miami, I like I like this place called Prime One Twelve. It's a restaurant. You can go and get you a uh, I think I think it's a forty four ounce steak and stuff. It's like a hundred and ninety something dollars and stuff for it. Oh and they'll God. cut it up. And that was whenever I would fly off season or uh, for a uh, bye week and stuff. That's what I would get. I would go down there and just you know get that once once a year and stuff because. Man, I, I'm, I've never finished it to this day. Like, I'll eat like three or four pieces out of it because the squares are like that, that thick and stuff. Like, they're big squares. Like, it's a, it's a huge steak that cut up for you. Oh, man. And I'll eat like four or five pieces and like, I'm done. Like, can't even eat the rest of it. It was that place. And then, um, do, uh, younger, you guys got younger viewers that watch this? It's, oh, you, um, can, you can mention alcohol. Probably, don't worry. <laughs> No, 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 no. It was a type of, type of club. If it's anything like the Magic City Wings, I mean, you're good to go. There's <laughs> a strip club called, um, oh, what's the name of it? Um, I forget the name of it, but they got really, really great food in there. Really, really great food. Called, yeah, it's called Tootsie's. Yo, so yeah, try saying. Tootsie's. Oh, yeah, Tootsie's, yes. Like, no, I swear, yeah. I'm only going for the food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, he's yeah. It. There's a bunch of times where I just look for the food and stuff. So uh... <laughs> Lou Williams has the Lemon Pepper Lou wing. At, at that Magic City because it, he, yeah. he, he I mean whenever he played with the Hawks that was his that was his spot that was his spot to go eat <laughs> he just got he just got to get the wings man I I hear it I hear the chicken breast in there are amazing <laughs> well Terrence <laughs> man this has been awesome uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us I don't want to hold you any longer because uh, I know you got you got stuff going on you go hang out with your family and all but. Man, I, I appreciate you hopping on here. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And uh man, I would love to I'd love to catch it up catch up with you again and, and chat it up next football season. Oh yeah, man, without a doubt, man. Just you know, let me know and uh, let me know which game week or whatever uh during the season and stuff and I'll I'll make some time. All right, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Rowdy Southern Saturday. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Music and follow our social media at RowdyPod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.